Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. He identified with us by becoming one of us. He didn't just say, man, it's got to be tough walking in those bodies and dealing with those temptations. No, we'll see that next time as we deal with overcoming temptation. But he identified with us by becoming one of us. He identified with us by being baptized, though he had nothing to repent of, you see. Many Christians can recall the beginning of their journey down the Calvary Road, and it usually began with repentance, that moment when we said, Lord, I'm done doing it my way because I'm headed in the wrong direction and I want to follow you. Let's listen in as Pastor Sam finishes off Matthew chapter 3. And this is why it's possible for any and all of us to need to repent. Because if you come to your senses and you realize, you know, I have really alienated myself from God. Yeah, I'm a believer in Him. Yeah, I've given my life to Him. I prayed that prayer. I've grown somewhat. But, but when you realize sin separates you, alienates you, well, that's something to repent of. And so what happens is, is He comes to His senses, step one, and then He says, I'm going to make this right. I'm going to go home and I'm going to just ask Dad to make me like one of His hired servants, you see. And there are many people who've taken step one, realized that the life they're living, the place they're at, is self-destructive and harmful to others and not the will of God for them. And so they've said, this is not good. And then they said, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to go back to the Father. I'm going to reconcile with the Father. I'm just going to say, forgive me and and let me serve you. And uh, a lot of people think because they've done that, they've repented. They've changed their mind. They've purposed to get it right. Maybe even started coming to church again, you know, singing the songs, doing the studies supporting the work. You can do all that and still not have repented. Why? Because it isn't coming back to church. It's coming back to Jesus. It isn't just singing songs and having Bible studies. It's it's worshiping him and yielding your life to him. And that we get in that story. See, the son didn't just know he was off and decide to get it right. He went home. And here's the great part. Father doesn't say, okay, we'll go for that servant thing. That's what I probably would do or what you might do. Yeah, you're right. You blew it. There's no way you're getting the whole thing again. No, he runs out. The only time you ever see a portrait of God running or in a hurry in Scripture because that Father represents our Lord to us. And man, he's in a hurry to, to put his arms around his son who's been, he says, dead to him and lost to him, but now reconciled, now alive. That's the heart of God. And, and that's the picture that God gives us of repentance. Well, Hopefully that makes sense to you. And and it brings us then to verse 5, the response of the people. We're told Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. This was the baptism of repentance. It wasn't Christian baptism. It was pre that. This is just short of Christian baptism. Why? Because they didn't really get yet who Jesus was or what he came to do. They weren't being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They weren't identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. What they were doing is they were saying, we are guilty sinners. And we're not right with God or ready for God. And 
John's calling us to repent, to acknowledge before God that we're sinners. They came out confessing their sins and they were baptized by John. Now, here's the deal. It's possible, again, to go through the ceremony or the sacrament to be involved in the those kinds of things and not really connect with God. And John knows that. How do we know that? By the way he responds to the religious people that come. Now, the sinners who knew they were sinners, when they came, he just said, repent. And sometimes they ask him, well, what does that mean in our context? The soldiers said, well, what are we supposed to do? He said, don't extort. He knew what they were like and don't oppress Just do your job. To the tax collectors, he said, don't take more than you're supposed to take. You know, it was relatively easy to deal with those issues. But I want you to note that that most came out confessing their sins, but he makes a distinction here between those who readily repented and confessed and those who just kind of came and were hanging out and looking on when many or verse 7 says, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who's warned you to flee the wrath to come? I I try to say it like that because I can't imagine saying, hey, good to see you, brood of vipers, you know. It's, uh, you know, I've been out there kind of, hey, good to see you and I'm glad you're here. John's a little bit. I would think he was uptight or need something, you know, medication or something if I didn't know that that this was really the Lord's call on his life. No, he looks at these guys and and he's been no doubt compassionate toward many. But when he sees the Pharisees and Sadducees, he looks them in the eye and he makes a, a radical accusation. He calls them a brood of vipers. Now, you need to know brood means offspring. And and vipers, that's not just you slithering, slimy serpents. I mean, that would be bad, you know. If you came to church and the pastor's like, you slimy serpents, you know. Nobody wants to be called that. But, but he calls them vipers and a brood of vipers. Vipers are worse than serpents. Why? Because not all snakes are deadly. But, man, vipers are, you see. And he's calling them a deadly a deadly menace. Here they are, and you need to know, Pharisees, they were the most highly respected religious people in the community. And so you, you gotta, gotta know that to really understand how radical this seemed. They thought that they were spiritual and acceptable to God because they had studied His Word diligently. And when it came to outward things, they kept it meticulously. See, they did the stuff that was actually pretty easy. He, he told them to tithe. And man, if they grew a garden, they'd, they'd take the seeds from the, the plants and they'd say, let's nine for me and one for God. I mean, they tithed to the seed and they thought that makes me spiritual. They, they, they didn't necessarily kill or commit adultery or or lie openly and so they (coughs) excuse me they look at the ten commandments and say we're keeping them that by the way explains why jesus will later say no if you've looked on a woman to lust after in your heart you've committed adultery in your heart he wasn't trying to say those two things are exactly the same he was saying 
Listen, you think you're not a sinner because you haven't committed the act. I'm telling you, if you've ever entertained the thought, you're a guilty sinner. And hatred, he says, yeah, of course you haven't murdered, but have you hated because you're a guilty sinner. He was just trying to, to level the playing field, as it were. He was trying to bring those people who thought, man, I'll never be acceptable to God and, and, and say, no, you can be. You can have the righteousness of Christ. In fact, he says at one point, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Man, outwardly, these guys had it made. Inwardly, though, here's how Jesus describes them. He says, outwardly, you're like whitewashed tombs. Everything looks good. You're shiny. You're polished. You're clean. You've got the vocab. You, everything is right. But inwardly, he says, it's still dead men's bones. Inwardly, still dead in trespasses and sins. So the Pharisees, the conservatives, the religious establishment of that day, John looks at them and says, you're a brood of vipers. And then the Sadducees, they were the materialist of the days. They didn't even believe the whole Old Testament was God's word. They only accepted the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And, and basically, he looks at these two groups who were bitter enemies, except in their opposition of Jesus. Then, you know, that's lesson all in of itself. Someone once said that it's much easier to get people together around what they disagree on or what they hate than, than what they agree on and what they love. And that was these guys, strange bedfellows. Man, they had nothing in common. They didn't believe the other they had, they just really could barely tolerate each other. I mean, way worse than Democrats and Republicans or, you know, any of that today. It was more than a philosophical difference or a fundamental, you know, difference of how you approach people or things or needs. No, th these guys, the Sadducees, materialists, they didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. We use that play on words to remember. That's why they were sad, you see. It helps us separate them from the Pharisees who believed in all those things but weren't going to experience them unless they got right with Jesus. And then until Jesus was on the scene, John was just saying, get ready. The king is coming. Prepare yourself for his coming. That's something, again, we have in common with him. The only difference is we're saying Jesus is coming again. And people are saying, oh, they've been saying that forever. And that's what they were saying back then. Ah, oh, we've been hearing the Lord was coming forever. He is going to come. Peter says he delays his coming for one reason and one reason alone. He's long-suffering, not willing any perish, but all come to repentance. Isn't that amazing? That means that if, if, if you're not repenting, you may be the one who's holding this whole thing up. We're just waiting for that last person to come. We want to be raptured. We want to be with the Lord. Stop holding us up. Repent. Get it right. Well, in any case, here, all Jerusalem and Judea come out. John's not worried about winning friends and influencing people. He's worrying about being faithful to the Lord, to stand before the Lord someday and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And no doubt, John has heard that from the Lord. So these guys come out and he asks, who warned you to flee 
the wrath to come. Therefore, verse 8, bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What he's saying, and, and I already kind of mentioned this, but this, this is really it in a nutshell, is it's not enough to go through the ceremony or experience sacraments. It's not enough to be baptized or take communion. Not enough to sing the songs and have the studies. He's saying there has to be fruit of this relationship. There has to be change. That's what repentance really brings about. Change, transformation. And I like that he doesn't say do works worthy of repentance. Not that he hasn't called us to good works. You need to know Ephesians says that we were created in Christ Jesus and that, that he has, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He's working in us and working through us. He has works for us. But it isn't all about working for or with the Lord. It's bearing fruit first. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And all the stuff we do outwardly, and that's what the Pharisees were about, it isn't going to add up to anything unless there's a reality spiritually and inwardly. So he says, there's got to be a connection. It isn't just doing the stuff outwardly. It isn't just putting a new paint job on, a, on an old, rusting out thing. No, he's saying, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Now, that's exactly what they prided themselves in. They thought, we're going to inherit the kingdom because we're descendants of Abraham. The promises are made to Abraham and to who? His descendants forever. So they thought it was an automatic, a done deal. Hey, you're a descendant of Abraham, you're going. But it was the children of faith, God explained, that would be in the kingdom. Those who, like Abraham, believed God and responded to God and obeyed God. That was Abraham. And so today, the parallel, it's simple, it's clear. You may have been raised by godly Christian parents. It doesn't make you a Christian. You may be a person who's been in church your whole life since day one. It doesn't make you a Christian. You have to give your life to the Lord Jesus. You need to repent of thinking, I'm saved because my parents are saved, or I'm Christian because my parents are Christian, or I'm Christian because I'm not Buddhist or, or you know, Muslim or something else. You see, God has called us to, to just realize that it's a one-on-one -on -one situation. Jesus died, yes, for all the sins of all of mankind, but he reconciles us one at a time. He calls us individually. He calls us personally. And that's exactly what's taking place here. John, his forerunner, preaching. Why? His ministry was to draw people to Jesus and point people toward Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase, but I must decrease. Those are the words that would soon be coming out of John's mouth. But at this point, it's simply repent. And if you're repenting, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. 
Let God work and transform your life so people see him. And then he says, don't count on your religious upbringing or your national heritage. None of that will matter in the end. And he says, the axe is laid to the root. I like that picture, see. We're all about, let's cut off the bad fruit. And that can happen. You can reform your own life. You really can. But that won't be the same as being born again. Reformation and regeneration, they are a world apart. Reformation is all about stopping the things that you know you're not supposed to do. And you can stop producing bad fruit. You could stop lying or cheating or stealing or whatever you've done that you know is sin. You can stop. But that won't produce any good fruit. That'll just put an end to the old fruit. And what he says is he puts the axe to the root. He goes to the very core and he roots out what produces that bad fruit in the first place. Well, then he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me, verse 11, is mightier than I, whose sandal I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, John's preparation. Baptism, excuse me. This baptism of repentance was a baptism of preparation. But when you're born again of the Spirit of God, hey, we're baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit, sealed until the day of redemption with the Holy Spirit, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve and represent Him, reminded of the things He's taught us, taught by the Holy Spirit so He can remind us of those things He's taught us. It becomes a, a work of the Spirit and not a work of our, our own volition, our own, our own flesh. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, He says, with fire. Those fires that burn away the dross and, and leave simply that which is useful and fruitful and beneficial. His winnowing fan, drawing on that same analogy, in his hand, he'll thoroughly purge his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now, Jesus came to draw all men to himself, but the very preaching that we are sinners and that Jesus and Jesus alone can atone for sin, that he died for us, that he was buried, that he rose again. That preaching separates men from one another. And whether it's, it's here, the wheat and the chaff, or it's the tares and the weed and, and the parable in Matthew 13, or it's the sheep and the goats and, and the parable or in the story of Matthew 25, in every instance, in every case, he simply says, Jesus is going to be separating those who respond to him and those who rebel against him. Those who come to him and those who reject him and run from him. The preaching of the gospel separates believers from unbelievers, those who repent from those who refuse. So Jesus came from Galilee, we read, as we get to the end of all this and prepare our hearts for communion. He, in verse 13, came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you are 
Are you coming to me? Now, you need to know this. At this point, John didn't know Jesus was the Christ. He knew he was spiritual. He knew he was different. He, he knew he was holy. But he didn't know until he sees this dove descend upon him, which we're going to read about in a moment, and a voice speak from heaven. He says, that's when I knew. Why? He had been told, this is how you'll know. This is how you'll identify the Christ. So he's just saying, knowing Jesus, even at this point, he said, man, I should be being baptized by you. Jesus' response to this, there in verse 15, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Permit it to be so. i got to fulfill all righteousness. What's happening here? Jesus is identifying for a second time with sinful man. First time was at his birth, where Philippians tells us he who was in the form of God, in spirit and in perfect fellowship and relationship with the Father, emptied himself and became one of us. He identified with us by becoming one of us. He didn't just say, man, it's got to be tough walking in those bodies and dealing with those temptations. No, we'll see that next time as we deal with overcoming temptation. But he identified with us by becoming one of us. He identified with us by being baptized, though he had nothing to repent of, you see. It's sort of a, a precursor to the cross. It's a forerun, forerunner, a preview of what was going to happen because at the cross he made the ultimate identification with sinful man, the one who was tempted in all ways yet never sinned, dying for sinners, shedding his blood for you and for me, laying down his life, bruised and battered, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace upon him. By his stripes, we read, we are healed. That's what was taking place. So he identifies with us in his birth. He identifies with us in his baptism. Why? Because baptism is a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. So much so that when we're baptized in Christian baptism, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he says that we are now identifying with him, buried with him in baptism, raised in newness of life. So through his birth, through his baptism, through his temptation, which we'll study next time, and then through his death, his burial, and ultimately his resurrection, he identifies with us. But there's something else here, and it's wonderful, and we conclude with it today. Having been baptized, he came up immediately from the water. The heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We have this Wonderful picture of the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. The Father saying, hey, I am pleased with you, blessed by you, affirming the Son, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit descending in, in a form. Why? Not so Jesus could see, so John could see, so John could know, so he could bear witness so he could give testimony. So we have in this passage, really, 
this simple message, repent. And if there's anything in you, anything you're involved in, engaged with, anything that you know the Lord wants to weed out, today's the day. The message is straightforward. It's simple. Repent. Turn from whatever it is and turn to God. Listen, all sin separates me from God. John the Baptist and his message of repentance it was such a simple message. Turn and follow Jesus. Turn from the things that have stopped you from following him. And once we have done this, and the Lord is the leader of our lives, we make the public declaration of that truth by being baptized. Join us next time as we continue on in our journey in the book of Matthew. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.